Hi, friends. I talk a lot about systems thinking on this podcast and thought I'd share one of the most potent actions you can take if you feel moved to be a different kind of leader for the 21st century. At Small Giants Academy, we developed our answer to the traditional MBA. We call it the MBE, a mastery of business and empathy. The MBE is a truly groundbreaking program which equips leaders with the tools, strategies, networks and philosophies to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up. This podcast is supported by Bank Australia, Australia's first customer-owned bank. Bank Australia invests 4% of its after-tax profits in projects that benefit people, our communities and the planet. To find out more, go to bankost.com.au, where you bank every day does make a difference. Hi there, and welcome to the Dumbo Feather Podcast, a monthly series where we chat with inspiring, thought provoking guests who are doing their bit to make the world better. I'm Amandine Thomas from Dumber Feather, and in this episode, we're hearing from Dr. Samdu Chetri, the Executive Director of the Gross National Happiness Centre in Bhutan. GNH focuses on the well-being of the country's people rather than the traditional economic measure of gross domestic product. Over the past 40 years, GNH has been a success story in Bhutan. Living standards, health condition and education levels have greatly increased, and it has proven to be a sound economic model. In front of a live audience, Samdu chats with Danny Almagor about his incredible life, as well as how GNH can create the conditions for human and environmental flourishing. Just a heads up before we start. In this episode, Samdu talks about the four pillars of GNH, which are good governance, sustainable socio-economic development, preservation and promotion of culture, and environmental conservation. These four pillars are further elaborated into nine domains and 33 indicators, all designed to help people live better. If you want to know more, head to the GNH website. We've included a link to it in our show notes. Now, here is Samdu. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to have you all here today. We're going to have an incredible conversation with Dr. Samdu Chetri. Maybe we can start and tell us a little bit about, before your incredible career, how did Sumdu become Sumdu? What was your story growing up? Um, well, I think something that, that doesn't speak um, is that I was born in a cow shed, far away from home. Uh, that's where I began my career. As a young boy um, with cows around me, with na- abundance of nature with me. And um, f- from there, my father felt I should go to school and not school myself in the jungle. So he brought me to school, but with a cow, because he thought I couldn't live without milk and m- dairy products. So he sent a cow with me to school. And the people who looked after the cow didn't do well. So in a two weeks' time, the cow was getting weaker. And when he came to visit, he said, oh, this is not sustainable. So he took back the cow <laughs> and started visiting me every week with some products. And I 
I was never interested in studies. I never wanted to study. All the time I ran away from schools and I wanted to be a farmer all my life. And, uh, but then I left school to continue my journey working as a farmer. So I worked one complete year as a young boy of just plus 11 years in the farm. I didn't go to school. Then my mother again chased me to school. I continued school. She, I, I, you know, after high school, I again came back home. She said, no, 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 go back to school. I graduated, went back to farming. And of course, it became apparent that I had to go back. And I was one of the first government graduates that King wished I served the private sector as also with a good economic background. So I struggled six years in the private sector. We do not have a culture of entrepreneurship in the country still today. So it was like you know, trying to develop the private sector was like hitting your head against a rock to break that rock. So I said, no, it doesn't work. I went back to the government and I was getting to be appointed as a teacher, a head teacher in a school. And I loved that because either I wanted to be in, uh, you know, educate myself higher or I wanted to become a farmer. So there were very clear uh, things in my heart. Then I got into working as a deputy head or the head of the Bhutanese head into the development corporation that was run by the foreign government of the Switzerland. And I served 18 years for them. Then I took a retirement saying, I've worked enough, I go back to farming. So I left for farming. I started to work. A year later, the king forced uh, you know, uh, democracy to the people, and people wanted me back in the capital. So, but I did not listen to them. But Swiss, they were very kind because when I forcefully left my job, they gave me, in addition to all my benefits, a whole year salary with a condition that any time they called me, I should come back and help them. So that was the point when they, you know, just around that time, it was March 2007, they said, please come back, you know, we need you to moderate a workshop to work on our five-year program. So I had to go back. So I went and I did moderate this workshop away from Thimpu, the capital. And then when I came back to the capital, I said, tomorrow I'm going back home anyway. Let me go and meet this chief election commissioner who has been asking me to come and also the ambassador to Bangladesh who had been asking me to return to Thimpu. So I first went to the election commissioner. We banged table for some time together because we didn't agree on a few things. And then we had a nice cup of tea, hugged each other and I left. And I said, come on, let me also go and see this ambassador. So I went, he was so enthusiastic, saying, Sam, do very good, you have come. Finally, we have you. I said, what? what do you mean, finally you have me? I'm leaving tomorrow. I just came to say hello to you. And he said, no, 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 no. Uh, you have to stay back and you have to help. Uh, you know, we need to have a party, a political party. I said, no, I'm not interested. I go back home. And he said, all right, if you're so insistent, okay, when do you go? I said, tomorrow early. So oh, why don't you do me a favor? At nine o'clock, you come to my house just to say bye, you know. I have something for you. Mm. I said, all right. Next morning, I packed my car, went to his house, knocked at his door. It was him who opened the door. And I entered and saw a hall bigger than this, filled with people. <laughs> and he introduces me. He is the secretary of the would-be party who will look after you from today. <laughs> 
what could I do? Everybody got up and said, oh, Dr. Samdu is here. Great, now we have a future of the party. <laughs> so I became one of the founding members of the Drukpintam Sokpa party. <laughs> Never went back home until today. <laughs> With those few changes of clothes, I continued my job up there. And my wife joined me back. So we had actually shifted from there after 30, uh, uh, 32 years. And uh, we had nothing in the capital. So we had to again start you know, our career once again there. But I also uh, you know, not only became the founding member, I was appointed. I want, they wanted me to be one of the parliamentarians. I didn't want. They offered me a job of a minister. I said, no, I don't want to be in politics. But they asked me, please, you know, why don't you be our campaigning manager? So I promised that, saying, okay, I'll try and get you as many seats as possible. I won 42 seats out of, uh, 45 seats out of 47 seats. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to form the government. So the prime minister didn't want me to leave, um, go back. And I had to work him, serve for him for five years. It was an interesting time for me. And towards the end of the five years, he said, I have a greater job for you. Please start GNH Center. And that's how I entered into the center. But because there was this challenge for me to run from the politics away, I wanted to do something. And uh, it was a moment when the world wanted to embark on this idea of gross national happiness. They started to say, does GNH not you know, come out of the Buddhistic beliefs. And I wanted to prove this This is secular, it's universal. So I invited uh, leaders from around the world, cultural leaders, like Christian fathers, sisters, there were uh, Jains, there were a lot of many Buddhists, many uh, Hindus, uh, Islam, Sufi. We were about 38 of people from different countries of the world. And uh, a group of them came five days before the program, and there were about 15 of them. And I took them to Bumtang, and that was the time, I mean, you know, we all proved, we all discussed and understood that GNH was secular and it was not based on Buddhist beliefs alone. It's universal in its nature. You know, in my life, there has been many, many, um, I mean, I never designed my life in any way. I just went with the wind with true intentions in my mind, everything that arose from me was to serve others in any way possible because I knew, you know, even if I made billions in my life, I'm not going to take on my back and go into the graveyard with that. But I could do something on this planet was to serve others. And that was always living in me. It still lives in me. And that's what I try doing. So we have the, so the GNH Centre essentially is about trying to bring the concepts of GNH into our lives. How have you, in your life, manifested the, the intention, the domains, the philosophy of gross national happiness? What are some examples for you of how that has come and influenced the way you are in the world? Wow. Um... You see, I, I, I do not relate myself with these nine domains or 33 indicators because I think I've learned to live right from my childhood in integration, in interdependence with these values. So I don't need to seek for these values. For example, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do 
when I open my eyes is, you know, and go out of the bed before I touch the ground, I say, thank you, Mother Earth. Today I'm going to walk on you. Forgive me and bless me, look after me. And then, of course, then I put a little bit of my prayers, appreciating, being grateful for all that we have around us, for all the nature that we live with, because we are a part of that, including the frogs, including bananas, including rice, <laughs> including yeast. We all have that in us. So being grateful to really the five elements on earth, then I sit down and meditate for a while. I do 20 minutes meditation. That's good if you learn to meditate. Often people want to meditate with completely closed eyes. And if they are still awake in that, that means they are not meditating. They're struggling on something, either contemplating or reflecting or you know, working on their thoughts. That's not meditation, really. It's more contemplation, which happens. But if you're a good meditator, close your eyes, begin meditating. It'll take you only two minutes to sleep. Those of you who have sleeping problems, learn to meditate well. Close your eyes, two minutes, I guarantee you. <laughs> you'll go off to sleep. So, you know, meditation, that's why we keep our eyes slightly open so that we're aware. And then you learn to meditate, you become always aware of what you're trying to visualize, what you're trying to embody. And with the breathing, you calm yourself and you build up your system. And these verses that I talk to you, you can develop yourself the way you want to change yourself or your situation or your environment. So that's just an idea. So I do little meditation and I do, uh, when I have space back home, I do little exercise. I, I do little um, exercise in the sense yoga and ancient yoga. And then I, uh, you know, even when I go brushing my teeth, I try to be mindful. I don't say I'm 100% mindful, but I try to be mindful in every space that I, while even walking, even cleaning my br uh, uh, teeth, you know. And I think we all need to brush our minds. Our minds needs to be brushed, and meditation is the best brush in the morning, you know. Um, you can clean your mind all the time, every day. And these are a few practices, and then I'm grateful all the time to people I meet. I do a lot of hugging, and I'm known as hugging monk, <laughs> because you can't touch monk. Women especially can't touch monk. But I say, why not? Intentions have to be right. You see, so what I do is every time I let go of things, I uh, accept things as they are, then only I can think forward. I forgive myself, I forgive others very easily. I don't remember anything that happened yesterday. I don't remember, I don't want to remember unless it is, brings me an experience of learning something that I would have learned today if I had that experience. I don't need to think that. I learn already today. So I live this kind of life, completely being aware with right intention. With I try to be right in my speech, while, while I try speaking, to, be, to bring out loving speech all the time. I try to listen to people as much as possible, but I'm getting older, so I hear less now. But it's so very important for us to uh, completely give our attention to others. So, we talk about four kinds of listening. May I just speak on that? Uh, the first listening is called downloading. 
I in myself. So it mostly happens between wife and husband. You know, um, when husband comes home or wife comes home, she starts or he starts talking and the other guy knows what he's going to talk, hardly listens. <laughs> because the moment he speaks two words or she speaks two words, you start downloading what you have in your mind. So it's called downloading, I in myself. But if the wife and husband, one of them, come home and say, darling, you know, I got promotion, I have a raise of $1,000 from the coming month, then she begins to listen to you. <laughs> Because there is factual things coming. So there is a factual listening that happens, you know. Uh, it's then I in it. Scientific data, information that are thrown onto you, you quickly listen to that. But political debate, for example, when a politician is talking on the television, you'll say, oh, I know that guy is going to speak that. So you listen to your mind, you don't really listen to the person. So downloading, Factual listening, I, the first one is called downloading, I in myself. The second one is called factual listening, it's I in it. Then the third kind of listening is called empathic listening, I in you. In that time, you have to give all your thoughts and mind, step into his or her shoes and listen completely. And all great leaders, if you see around the world, they completely listen to anybody, even if they know everything. When they ask somebody to talk or discuss something, they will completely listen to those things. So that's called empathic listening. And this happens when you are a bit unwell or you want to be counseled or maybe you're listening to this stupid monk, you know, with all your attention. Uh, maybe something new is coming from outside your downloading, so you are tending to listen more to me. Then the fourth one is called regenerative, and this is I in you, the third kind. And then the fourth is called regenerative listening, that's I in now. So when you are empathic listener, factual listener, then you start to listen the future and embody what is going to come in the future, and you embody those in your hearts and minds. So these are four kinds of listening. I don't know what I was talking, look at me now. <laughs> But I started with the listening thing. What was your... <laughs> I was downloading. Um, um, but it, it's fascinating. I mean, you re as you describe, you live it. And, and we you know, often, I think, think of ourselves as the lucky country. Um, but maybe being born in a cow shed um, in Bhutan makes you lucky because... You seem to have integrated all those ideas into your life through that interdependence. A lot of us, or I'll talk for myself at least, I wasn't born in a cow shed. Um, and for whatever reason, it's much harder to integrate these things in, in our life, I feel, living here, you know, living within our society. What are some examples? I mean, you've, you travel everywhere. You travel to many more countries than I've ever been to. You see people living in these different environments, different cultures, some that are more connected, some that are less connected. What are some of your thoughts or advice to, to us, to those that, that don't have the, um, the incredible opportunity that you did to see the, the connection between all those, all those elements of, of life that bring ultimately that happiness? Thank you. Um, in fact, I think we all can do in whatever environment we are living, 
we all can be mindful. Just one thing, if you can be mindful, be aware every moment of your life, you'll always be happy. You'll always be in these nine domains. You don't have to practice anything. But there, I call it a dose of happiness. There's something that modern world can do. I call it dose because it starts with D-O-S-E. I'll spell all that out. Dose, the scientists didn't know about it. They only found and I put that together in the sequence. <laughs> D is dopamine. Is a, it's, I think the psychologists here would know very well. This, this is uh, actually the one that looks for goal orientation for you. And you can raise those chemicals in your body. You know how? Just have, sending your loving kindness to others. Just loving kindness to nature, to your friends, to your family, to everybody you work around, you see around. That can raise your chemicals. D, dopamine. Second is oxytocin. It's also called the cuddling hormones, I think. And of course, sex plays a big role there. I don't want to prompt in that. <laughs> but hugging, it's also called hugging meditation. Put your left heart with the left heart of the other person, close your eyes, and send your good wishes to this person. You raise oxytocin in your body very easily. And there you're doing two things. You are doing the first one, dopamine, you're increasing that, and also oxytocin, you are also becoming, um, you know, um, uh, filled with um, uh, your um, uh, hugging. So two things happen here with just one, one practice. Then the third one is serotonin. I think that's right, serotonin. Okay, that is... That can be raised by being grateful. So in fact, by hugging, if you're doing sending love and being grateful to this person, you're already doing three things with just with one hugging meditation. And the fourth one is endorphin, fins, I think. And that you can raise by doing 30 minutes sweating exercise, maybe a treadmill or I don't know in the sea, surfing or something like that. I don't know. Does surfing bring sweat? It does? Okay. okay. There you are. So, so simple things like this can make you always happy. But if you are away from all this, just try to be mindful every moment of your time. People think, oh, mindfulness. How can I do mindfulness? I'm all the time serving, busy, this, that. No, mindfulness is not to sit and meditate. Mindfulness is not to not work. Mindfulness is when you're washing your dishes, Keep your mind completely to how you're doing that work. When you're walking, realize how your steps are walking. Don't think where you are walking. So you set the intention and the rest, you be very mindful on every action you do. While even you eat, you know, imagine how this food comes to your mouth. All the way from garden. How does it grow in the garden? Who grows that? Who brings it home? Who cooks it for you? How does it come onto the table? And that you are in relishing this, nourishing food or drink or whatever. So when you're able to kind of connect yourself with every detail of your, 
activities be aware of everything you will live in the present moment and i can assure you 1000% if there is any 1000% that you will be happy so hug people mindfully while jogging <laughs> there you are there you are um somebody thank you so much for sharing your wisdom your story your prayers, your meditation with all of us. Please thank Samdu. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Dumbo Feather podcast. Thanks also to Samdu for chatting with us. You can find out more about GNH by visiting their website. It's www.gnhcenterbhutan.org. You can also read more about Samdu on our site. We interviewed him for Dumbo Feather magazine back in 2013. This edited conversation was produced by our digital editor, Lizzie Martin. The music you hear is by Dennis Liu. Stay tuned for our next conversation, or hear it first by subscribing to the Dumbo Feather podcast on your favourite pod channel. For more conversations with extraordinary people, subscribe to Dumbo Feather at dumbofeather.com. We deliver worldwide. <laughs>